pep, pep, bla, 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 bla. Hello, and welcome to See One, Do One, Teach One, the podcast dedicated to becoming a better medical educator. With me, Pick Mukherjee. And Tom Pereira. In this episode, we talk about how weird orientation is going to be next year, and we question the name of our podcast. So, Pick, what are we talking about today? Well, we are off of the match, welcoming a new class of interns, doing our usual what shall we do in orientation, and it seems like maybe this year will be an unusual year, and the people coming in might need some different things for orientation. So this is our first, essentially, post-COVID year. This class was halfway through their third year when they were kicked out. And then they, when they were brought back, it wasn't that they were brought back in toto. They were brought back almost in pieces with a lot of virtual medical school. The plague year. So they got end of third year, no idea what, if they're going to be allowed back, and then probably endured multiple surges, uh, had the hospital kick them out of rotations, uh, got kicked out of patient rooms, had patients they couldn't, couldn't see. So it's been a long ride. Are they really different from all our previous many years of interns? So that's the question. And thinking about it from a logic point of view, with very little basis in fact, I am concerned that they did not do as much clinical time on other services, because most of them actually rotated in an emergency department, as many of the interns we get. So how is that going to manifest a difference in the way they're going to be able to behave? Is it the services? Because even when they rotated in the emergency department, uh, they were probably just excluded from a whole section of the ED. If you came in with a cough or a fever or hypoxia, uh, a lot of times uh, it was a very limited number of providers. So that would be a medical knowledge problem if if they really didn't get some diagnoses, uh, and that's one piece of it. I was thinking more in terms of if they haven't rotated on medicine enough, then they're not going to know what a medicine doc is going to want to hear when they call up to consult them. They're not going to know what are the key pieces of information in orthopedics or in surgery that if you rotated with the those groups of people, you would better understand what their needs were. So that seems like a very EM-centric problem, right? That's a, a All of those things really matter to us because we are have to speak that language. We have to call that consult and communicate this person needs surgery, why this person needs admission. But on a really basic level. Medicine is built on sort of a uh, apprenticeship model. And if you don't stand next to the people who are doing the job, then you're you're not getting the experience to do the job, right? So you're thinking that not only is it the medical knowledge stuff that you talked about before, or the sort of how to call a consult, very specific pieces, but they even haven't even had the modeling that other people have. What happens when somebody screams at you? What happens when you can't find a Band-Aid? What happens uh, in all of those medical situations? So you're making the suggestion, I think, that there are going to be farther behind than we expect. And, and in ways that maybe won't be obvious to diagnose, right? Because uh, this is like the work as done. You can, you can read about it in a book, uh, and you could even try to get your medical knowledge up to speed by, by studying emergency medicine. But if you haven't actually taken care of a patient like that, it's hard to see that it translates. It's the praxis, is the practical application of what you're doing. Uh, and it's more than just, I understand the, the causes of pneumonia. It's it's looking at someone going, I think that person has pneumonia. That is one of those things that, that definitely happens. 
we have come to rely so much on a chest x-ray that stethoscopes get used less, that ultrasound machines are used more. The other day, a resident was astounded that I looked at a patient and basically said, that person has a big effusion on the left side of their lung before we had a chest x-ray or, uh, heaven forbid, an ultrasound. And that was problems that happened before COVID. Uh, so that was a, uh, are we relying too little on our bedside and too little on our physical exam and too much on, on instrumentation and investigation? And in fact, a lot of people from an evidence-based point of view would say, well, listen, your, your physical exam just doesn't compare to the tools that I have. You still use physical exam to narrow your diagnosis. You still use it to aim your diagnostic tests. If you're going to say the physical exam isn't useful, then I'm going to say that that history is not nearly as useful as people say. But at the same time, all of those things are really useful. If you are going to say that history is not as useful as some people say, I want to know who are the people and what have they been smoking. That's that's just crazy talk. But I will go so far as to say that we look at it from the lens of physical exam missed this thing that my other investigation found. That's why I rely on the other investigation. The problem is you got to flip that question and go, if you use physical exam very little and then your, your standard is everyone gets the investigation, well, this is how you get to things like overdiagnosis and iatrogenic harm. If everyone gets a CAT scan, then you have just increased the number of biopsies across the land uh, by X numbers, right? Something like 3% of cancers are blamed on medical imaging technology. This is a problem created by our solution to the other problem, right? So you need, you need the intake. You need the pretest to be high enough, and you can't have the pretest without the H&P. That makes sense. Thinking back to where this started, you're saying that this group is going to come in without the medical modeling that other people have. But happily, residency, internship, in everything, is essentially going to give them that modeling and that clinical experience. So I, I think they will make that up. So then going back to the other pieces of it, the question is, and where you started was, is this really different inherently from any other class that has come through? So that kind of depends on how much we trust our previous evaluations of our incoming people. Really, we are selecting people to do a job that is different from any job they have done before, even though they have worked in our department as a student, they are not doing the job of an intern. They are not, they don't have the responsibility. They don't have the schedule. They don't have the ability to write prescriptions at the drop of a hat that you do. So, so this is all like guesswork, really. I do love the first month where they come up and go, uh, uh, Tom, Tom, um, can, can I give this person Tylenol? And then I'm going to get my calculator and do a weight-based amount of Tylenol for the person. I just love that in, in the Scrubs, uh, the classic uh, thing, the attending goes, pour some Tylenol in your hand, throw it at the patient. Whatever lands on them is a fine dose. So here's a different way to look at this. Let's take the assumption that maybe this class is no different than any class that has ever been through before. And maybe we have been making the error of assuming that people know things to start with. And maybe the right way to come in when you have people coming from all over the country with all these different experiences in essentially patient-based apprenticeship that they were in as a student, they're all starting at different places. So you can't assume they know anything anyway. And they're starting in different places and with different experiences. So we talk about gaps. 
oh yeah, this person has a knowledge gap, this person has a skills gap, uh, except all of us have gaps and they're all different. So one person's, uh, this person is functioning at the level of an intern because he impressed you with three cases he is experienced with. Uh, and has never, ever seen the next guy goes in the room. So I, I think that's a, a good point. We uh, do stress doing some basic level review in orientation for, a lot for that reason, because we don't know what you're coming in with. I admitted to you early er, that it drives me nuts when you're in a meeting or an educational event and people are saying the completely obvious things. And I've always said they're saying it just to hear themselves talk. And that stuff drives me nuts. But I think I'm wrong. I think especially in the beginning, you have to say those completely obvious things. Things like, if somebody has a low blood pressure, maybe we should give them fluid. Stuff like, hey, it's a trauma and the blood pressure is low. How about blood? And then as they're saying it, you're like, well, of course. And then when you look, you realize no one has called the blood bank. And you're like, oh, that stupid thing was completely useful. This is essentially the checklist. It's not for high-level thinking. It's for, have you done the basic things you already know? Uh, and you know what? Someone hasn't thought of it because it's not reflexive to them yet. That doesn't mean that our orientation should be any different than it has been previously. But it does mean that, that maybe we should always have just made sure that we cover the basics to that level. Guaranteed that six months into someone's residency or a year into somebody's residency, uh, one of their attendings is going to come to me and say, oh, I can't believe that this resident has gone this far and doesn't know this. But there are just so many thises in medicine and emergency medicine that you find that all the time. How do you not know this at this level of your training? Like, I don't have another level of my training and I get things wrong all the time. Um. Okay, there's the critical knowledge alert alarm, which clearly we all have an app on our cell phone for. I think it was the, like, Klingons entering your airspace or the engine room decompressed alarm. So clearly there's no such app. The question is, how do you handle this? And I think the biggest question for a teacher is, how do you impart the really basic knowledge without making your audience think that you think they're moron? So this is probably part of a huge, broad... How do you tell anyone anything meant to help them improve without pissing them off and, 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 and delivering feedback and all that stuff? But, but it gets back to the idea of what should orientation be? Assuming that everyone's got gaps, everyone's starting in a different place, uh, there may be even less bedside uh, experience and less modeling to experienced clinicians. Uh, how are we going to approach that? Well, I know that there's something really basic that I feel is important to make sure is out there is a good time to do the make your audience into a teacher. When you make them walk through things and verbalize it and then praise them for the simple things. Discovery learning, catch them doing something good, uh, and then reinforce those basic, you said, uh, silly checklisty, everyone knows this already things, and then nod so the five people who didn't know it can nod along with you. Yes, of course, I get it. Blood for trauma. Makes sense. Bringing this all to a close, because I know we're taking the time, we don't have a cool app on our phone, so do the real basics. We like that. And I think what we came up with is maybe this class isn't going to be so different than any other class. It's going to be okay. 
So we have talked about the incoming interns and how things might be different, and specifically things like physical exam and bedside stuff might be less than previously. So the article of the day today is titled Effect of a Physical Exam Teaching Program on the Behavior of Medical Residents. It comes from a Dr. McMahon et al. from Brigham and Women's at Harvard Medical School. In this study, they basically did a series of educational workshops teaching better physical exam skills to 47 medicine residents, and they tracked the number and the frequency and depth of the clinical exam uh, on their morning rounds. And you know what it showed? It showed that no matter how long it went, all the residents wanted more and more depth. Weirdly, no. Okay. If you did a series of workshops and then sort of followed them around, what you found is that they more frequently did physical exams, but they were not more comprehensive per se. And that was at just one or two weeks. I have to be honest, when I read this study, my first thought is... That's essentially a Hawthorne effect, and what you're going to see as time goes on and nobody is watching is unless there's a change which matters to the care of the patient or positively affects the residents, you are slowly going to extinguish and you are going to go back to the same number of exams as before. Okay, but this is not bad. This makes sense to me. This means that I can increase the frequency of a behavior by paying attention to it, by having them model that I'm doing it, uh, and I might not get the same level of uh, comprehensive thorosity, whatever, uh, uh, and that's not bad for an EM doc because I don't want to do the full physical uh, when I when I go in with my student. I want them to have a command of it, and I want to spot check them. So there are lots of reasons to do a physical exam for emergency medicine. I hate to say the dirty words, but some of that is billing. Uh, and if you do things in the same way every single time, it is the easiest way to make sure you hit all of the organ systems that you need to bill correctly. That is very different than finding the piece of the physical exam which is going to help this patient. So that's the phrase that uh, you write in charts and say to lawyers, it is my uh, standard and common practice to do uh, this way. But there's something to that. Like, there is a pattern, a, a routine to checking cranial nerves, uh, 2 through 12 for me, that is, is just a routine, obvious thing. There's a, there's a way that I examine abdomens that is just the same every time. And establishing that habit means that I am not going to miss the thing uh, on the once in a blue moon that it's there. And I think that's great. And I also think it's important to note that what an attending does for physical exam isn't necessarily going to hit every organ system. But as long as somebody is going in and making sure that they find all of the important pieces. So it is definitely true that there have been zoster rashes that I did not suspect and found because I looked. So what should we do? It might not be very, very different from uh, dealing with other incoming classes, but it probably is in this day and age of, I'm just going to get the test, uh, a good thing to reinforce. And maybe we need a lot more direct observation and bedside joint physical exam uh, to, to look for that one or two things that the attending's picking up on. I think most emergency physicians believe that a huge percentage of the education that goes on is clinical. 
Uh, and I think this year, even more than ever, uh, it's what we do on the floor that is important. So I think that this might be the year that I go and, gosh forbid, watch people do physical exams. I think that's a direct observation of uh, H&P. Show me your physical exam or I will show you. Really, you think that guy's got guarding? Let's go in and I will examine him while you watch me. Directed observation of me. So I, I actually love going back in the room when my exam differs from the resident. Yeah. Uh, I'm not always right, but when we do it together, the consensus decision is actually great. Yeah, if I hear a story and I'm like, that really sounds like a vertiginous patient, uh, and, and you, you did a Dick's Hall Pike and was fine, let's go see. And then I do mine and the patient throws up in a bucket. And, and it's just, it makes the point, right? It's not the, uh, I'm going to explain to you why I might be right, let's just go see. So this study, fairly simple, just uh, if you focus on something, in this case, the physical exam, people do it better, at least for a while. Apprenticeship model. Let's watch you do it. Great. Okay, so what is not a thing? We haven't done one not a thing in a bit. So how about since we're doing a lot about uh, orientation, in orientation, I'm thinking that see one, do one, teach one might not be a thing. What? It's the name of the podcast. It is the apprenticeship model. It is uh, something that we, actually, that the sim people try to pull apart. But, but still, you need to see one, do one, teach one. What are you talking about? The number of times that I, when I'm first working with somebody, that I ask somebody, hey, are you comfortable doing X, Y, and Z? And they say, yeah, 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 I've done a ton of them. And they go and do it. And when they come back, I have trouble trusting their findings because I've never worked with them and I'm not even sure that their X, Y, and Z and my X, Y, and Z are the same thing. I really like what you said there about trusting them because you're talking about an entrustable uh, activity. So this is not really from the point of view of the learner. This is from the point of view of the teacher. You may have done them. I need to see you do one before I entrust you uh, with it. So a lot of this has to do with language. Uh, for me, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, cervical motion tenderness is something that I need to know that the resident's definition and my definition are the same before I can even ask them, do they have it? Because uh, when they say there is no CMT, you find... Well, they, if there was no chandelier in the room, there could not possibly be CMT in their view of the world. Whereas in my view of the world, pain is pain. So basically, if the patient didn't scream and try to run away from you, uh, it, it didn't exist. For me, that vocab lesson is guarding. I had a resident who said, uh, the, the abdomen is soft, there's no guarding. And I went and I went, that's pretty classic guarding. This is a, a nice surgical abdomen. He's like, oh, he didn't have it. He went back in and said, he still doesn't have it. And I said, what do you think guarding is? And he basically thought it meant the patient had to swat your hand away and physically guard himself from you touching him. Uh, and that is just not what that is. Maybe the error of a lot of this stuff is a communication error. And I think that, again, we were talking about it a lot this podcast, watching people do some physical exam stuff, listening to the way that they describe different things, and making sure you're using the same words becomes exceptionally important with a learner you are not used to teaching. Great. We're back to direct observation, the communication C1. skills. Uh, and, oh, so I see you do one. Right. Uh, then I will let you do one uh, before you ever think about uh, teaching one. 
Exactly. Yeah. So so maybe unfortunately it's it's less that C1 do one teach one doesn't work as a model, but unfortunately the C1 and do one part has to be under my direct supervision before I am sure you are ready to teach one. Great. So it's a little bit of a rinse and repeat until I say you're ready. <laughs> so pick, what are you going to try today? I think that Today, since it's not orientation, I should try observing more physicals. I'm pretty used to lurking uh, behind the curtain and hearing the history as it's being taken and then comparing that to what's reported to me. So I think similarly, I should be in the room more often observing a physical exam and then comparing that to my own and what's reported to me. No, I found it really interesting what you said earlier to me, which was that in this day and age where there are HEPA filters and all that stuff, your ability to listen to the resident-patient interactions has been hindered. It's, it's really hurt my eavesdropping skills, so now I'm going to have to use the visual cortex uh, and watch the exams. So today, I am going to go back to the basics to say out loud some of the things that I believe that the resident should definitely know. And I am going to try and do it under the guise of, we all know this. Or, there are medical students coming, so, you know, we would want to make sure that a, a medical student would know this. So restate the what you think is obvious to make sure we're on the same page. But using the statement we, so that it doesn't seem like I am suggesting that someone doesn't. Makes sense. Thanks for listening. Go out there and make better doctors. Get out there and make doctors better. Get around.